we prepare our hearts for God's word, let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear your word with joy. Amen. Our reading from the epistle today is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your comments. This is a clear sign to them of our destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Our reading from the Hebrew scriptures this morning comes from Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 15. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly of hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he, had he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what we are, for what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. 
In the evening, the cloud came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Some of you probably know that I'm active in a couple of sports. I've been running for about eight or nine years now. And Tim isn't really built to run, though, so he doesn't run very much. The sport that we do together is something called CrossFit, which is basically competitive going to the gym. We lift weights, we do cardio like sprints and rowing, we do things like push-ups and pull-ups and even some basic gymnastics skills like handstands, which I'm still working on, so please do not ask for a demonstration. And we're usually doing all of these things as fast as we can. But where we go to do this is more than just a gym, it's a community. We've made a ton of friends there who like to do the sorts of things that we like to do. I can walk in and say things like, is anyone interested in doing a 35 mile day hike with me? And actually get a yes answer. We go out on outings together like rafting and high ropes courses. Um, a group from the gym is going to go axe throwing soon. Um, if it's any indication of how dedicated I am to Kairos, I am missing the axe throwing outing for the Kairos weekend, ladies. And every month or two, 
we have a gym-wide challenge. We've done a push-up challenge where we add five push-ups every day until we can do 100. We've done nutrition challenges like cut out something that's really, really bad for you that you really, really love. And this month, our challenge is no complaining. We have these rubber bracelets that say no complaining on them to remind us to be purposeful with our words and to stop and think before whining about stuff. And when we complain, we're supposed to move the bracelet from one arm to the other so there's a physical reminder that we have complained. And there is also a penalty. We have to do five burpees for every complaint. A burpee is a move where you have to drop to the ground, do a push-up, and then jump up into the air. I would tell you more about them, but then I would have to move the bracelet from one arm to the other and do a demonstration in my church clothes in the front of the sanctuary. Now, this has been a fascinating experiment. First of all, I've discovered that it was not quite as hard as I thought it would be. I've had a total of... This has changed since the writing of this phrase. I've had a total of 55 penalty burpees since Monday, which is 15 complaints. And some were stupid complaints, like how crowded the great race is or how much it messes up traffic. But some were ones that I felt were genuinely justified. A guy cut me off on the Fort Duquesne Bridge the other day. I lost my car keys at Gloria's cross-country meet the other day, and I never did find them. Levi's school bus was almost 20 minutes late picking him up one day. And these weren't like little niggly things. That guy almost caused an accident. Car keys are really expensive to replace. Trust me on this, everyone. And getting to school on time is sort of a big deal. But having to swap the bracelet around from one arm to the other and do the penalty burpees forced me to reflect on how I was responding to these situations around me. This forces you to stop and think about how to respond more patiently to the situation, how to respond more productively to the situation. Complaining doesn't help anything. It forces you to think about how to be more Christ-like in those situations. And it makes you realize that even when you get cut off on the bridge, there are people who have it way worse off. And that your husband has another key for the car, and you do have the money to pay for the new car key, and your kid did still make it to school. We are always going to face situations in which we want to complain. Big situations and small situations. There will be change in our lives. There will be change in our world. There will be change in our church. There will be people we don't like, there will be situations that are difficult to navigate. We will lose our keys and we will get cut off on the bridge. We will lose our jobs and we will suffer illness and injury. Especially in church and in a world filled with all kinds of different people, we're not always all going to be happy with everything all of the time. And when he writes his letter to the Philippians, Paul knows this. He's been through physical ailments, He's been through mocking. He's been in prison. He very much knows what it feels like to be torn between wanting his spirituality to be something soft and cuddly, something that saves him, buffers him from the pain of the world, and knowing that in reality, we follow a Savior who brings the demand of a spirituality that is about caring first for others 
first and foremost. He knows that when we are faced with the trials in life, we will, of course, be concerned for our own well-being, sometimes overcome with that concern. The bigger the trial, the greater our self-concern. But he also knows that we have to have hope to go on. And hope is about our focus, our perspective. When we have nothing left to live for, nothing left to hope for, we die. Unless we change the way we look at the painful or uncomfortable or distasteful situations we find ourselves in, we lose our hope and we lose out on the abundant life that we are promised in Jesus. That's the very thing that's happening in churches all over the country right now. The world is changing. It's hard to be church in today's culture. Church isn't society's top priority anymore, and it's very easy to lose hope. Entire congregations have lost hope and are withering away to nothing. But God's will for us is not lost hope. God's will for us is life. And the life that Christ offers, the real life full of hope, is that in which we don't have to worry about our own place in the line. Instead, we worry that others have a place in the line of provision with us. We hold hope that God provides for all. When we see others getting paid the same amount for less work or being placed in the line ahead of us, our instinct is to grumble about how unfair that is. When we see people being given things we had to work hard for, our instinct is to complain about how unfair that is, rather than to consider the importance of making sure that everyone is provided for. How easily we forget that God is worried about justice and provision, not fairness. If you have three people standing trying to watch a game or an event over a fence or a wall, fairness would be making sure all three of them have a box to stand on, no matter how tall each of them are. Justice is letting the tall person stand on the ground, giving a box to the middle-sized person and giving two boxes to the short person so all of them can see over the fence. Fairness means that at least one of these three people still can't see over the fence even though they have a box, while justice means they can all still see. Justice is the tall guy with a box he doesn't really need, giving his box to the short person who needs another box. Our business as Christians is not to make sure we have a box too because the guy next to us has a box, our business is to make sure the person next to us can see at least as well as we can. If I were to be fair at family dinner, I would make sure both of my sons have the same amount of food on their plate at dinner. If I were to be just, I would make sure that my six-plus-foot, 26-year-old son has at least three times the amount of food on his plate as my four-foot-nine-year-old. The comedian, Louis C.K., says this, Never look into your neighbor's bowl to see if they have more than you. Only look into your neighbor's bowl to make sure they have enough. When we are worried about if we have as much as the next guy, it's easy, way too easy, to get stuck in grumbling and complaining when we inevitably find out that someone else has it better than us. And we fail to show compassion and justice to those who have it way harder than we do. I can promise you 
that everyone in this room could find someone who's worse off than they are. When we concern ourselves with fairness, we will find ourselves hopelessly complaining about our circumstances and losing hope. We're just sad or upset that our bowl doesn't have as much in it as somebody else's. But when we concern ourselves with justice, we find ourselves looking for the hope, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. We find ourselves unconcerned about who has more than us and start looking for ways to fill the bowls of others who don't have enough. When we look beyond ourselves and our own circumstances, like being cut off in traffic, late buses, busy days at work, even bigger concerns like wondering where the manna for the next day will come from, when we help those around us is when we find hope and meaning. Gilberto Colazzo says, do we dare believe God's promises that we will experience life and life in abundance if we learn to live a life that trusts God even in the face of our greatest challenges? Nobody is exempt from those moments of feeling locked up, those moments of feeling that the walls are about to cave in on us. When those prison moments come, we are invited to model for others what it means to face them with hope. Face them with hope. I love that. That's the difference. That's the change in perspective. So how do we do this? How do we model justice for all? How do we model for others what it means to face the world's problems with hope? First off, no complaining. <laughs> that doesn't mean going around tossing out fake, I'm blessed comments at people when you really want to scream or cry or strangle somebody. Saying something you don't really believe about a situation is just spraying Febreze on something funky. It's still gonna smell funky. It just smells like vaguely pine-scented something funky. Really, truly not complaining, facing things with hope means approaching situations from a different angle entirely and being purposeful in how you move about in the world around you. It's seeing God's provision even in the desert. Look at the manna, not the sand. And it means helping to fill up the bowls of others, even when ours aren't always as full as we'd like them to be. There are many wonderful opportunities in our area to do just this. There are ways to literally fill the bowls of others. You can talk to Tom next week about Meals on Wheels. You can talk to Paul about making sure we have meals for the men's shelter this week. In fact, please talk to Paul about the men's shelter today, because as I said earlier, that's this week, and we still need a few folks for that. There are ways to work for peace and social justice in our city. You could talk to Elsie at St. Andrews about any number of ecumenical and peacemaking efforts that she's a part of. I have a whole list of organizations that are working for peace and diversity and church unity in our city. There are ways to reach out to someone who is forgotten or left out or just plain worn out by saying, you are loved. You can ask my dear sisters, Carla and Cynthia, more about Kairos outside or Kairos inside if you would like to hear more about what happens in the prisons through Kairos. When you walk out the doors of the church this morning, when you go out these doors over here, I want you to look up. There is that sign there over your head that I'm sure many of you know of. 
that says you are now entering the mission field. Hope is here in this place. And hope is also outside that door. Hope is in remembering our call to service to one another. This is what it means to be church. This is what a strong, healthy church looks like. It's a community of faith in which everyone is working to fill the bowls of all those around them. It doesn't matter if the pews are filled. It matters if the bowls are filled. It matters that there is hope. That there is hope in action which brings life and energy into the community. Amen.